1 Peter 4, again beginning in verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, that is, living in sensuality and passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join with them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Being the Christian that God wants you and me to be each day, to live as verses 1 and 2 instruct, here to cease from sin so as to live for the rest of our lives in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That truly is a difficult task because desires and temptations come at us from every quarter, from the world and the flesh and the devil, and they abound both within us and all around us. Now, yes, it can be said that becoming a Christian is easy. And it is. Perhaps one of the easiest things that we'll ever do. And that's because the Lord Jesus has already done all of the hard things, that terrible suffering and death that it takes to bring us to salvation. With the only part of that initial salvation that's left for you and me to do is simply to surrender our hearts. Simply surrender. That's all we have to do. Now, many even find that hard to do. But that difficulty can't compare to the sufferings that Christ had to endure to bring us to salvation. But with all that being said, we also know that our full and complete salvation does not just begin and end with that one event of a one-time sinner's prayer. Salvation really only begins with that first prayer. These scriptures actually speak of the salvation experience as being in three parts. Three parts. The first part being our initial salvation when we first walked that aisle or got on our knees and prayed to receive Christ. But then there's a next part. The working out of our salvation. And then lastly, our final salvation comes, as scriptures tell us, when we enter into heaven. Some word that as being, we were saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And all that is exactly according to these scriptures. Our sinner's prayer, again, and our initial salvation is only the beginning. And as our scripture text for today warns us, it's in this next part. This next part after praying that prayer that really gets to be difficult. That working out of our daily salvation. Let me read those words for you. That's Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. Now, did you note there in those words that this is where your and my part begins? 
Christ did the first part by dying on the cross for us. Now comes our part to work out this salvation. Yes, He'll still help us because He says here in these words, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. He continues to work in us with His Holy Spirit. And so we have this unction and this uh, impetus to go ahead and do His will. But you and I have to apply our free will. And that's where we have to begin in earnest to do our part. Working out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's the part that's spoken about here in our text for today. Let me just read those words again. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions but the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. Now, by the way, most of us here today will not get caught up in this particular group of awful, sinful behaviors. But listen, I assure you that each of us has a private list of our own with many of our sins hidden deeply within the recesses of our minds and our hearts. They're not these, but they're just as bad as these. And these words are a command. And I want us to understand that it is a command. It's not a request from God. He says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking that the Lord Jesus had within Him. And here He describes that, the will of God. You have to arm yourself as a soldier would. On that cross, Jesus died both for sin and to sin. And you and I have to join with Him. You say, well, how could He die to sin? He did not have any of His own sin to account for, no. But because He had taken our sins upon Himself, He had to deal with all of those. And they had to be killed out within Him just as they have to be killed out within you and me. That's why you and I must die to sin. And that's an especially difficult thing because unlike the Lord Jesus, many of us have sins that are entrenched in us. I'm 70 years old and some of the wretched thoughts and habits and behaviors have been a part of who I am for most of my years. And yes, unfortunately, and sinfully so, I still do hang on to some of them very tightly. My ego especially. The songs that we sang just a moment ago talked about pride. My ego is always a problem for me. Your ego is always a problem for you. In different forms, but it is a problem for you. My ideas, your ideas... Your opinions, my opinions, philosophies. Well, I believe so and so, we tell people. I have over time been able to soften some of the edges of all of those ideas and principles and philosophies to the point that they are acceptable to me and even acceptable to most other people. But listen, listen, are they acceptable to God? Even in their softened condition? Are they the will of God? 
That's the question that needs to be answered from these scriptures we have before us here today. Just because, listen, just because I have agreed with myself that some of my sins are acceptable does not make them acceptable to God. Just because you have agreed with yourself, well, I'm just that way. Or I get that from my daddy or from my mama. It does not make it acceptable to God. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, he tells us. Folks, within our thinking is where sin most always begins. Down deep within the hidden recesses of our minds. We're told that in James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, listen to what he says in verse 14. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Can you see the progression that takes place? Sin starts as a thought deep within our mind. Now here it's called a desire or a lust. It's a thought, a passion. It's a thought. And they take on many forms. As I said a moment ago, what is your desire? Do you desire attention? Do you desire acceptance? Do you desire approval? Do you desire things, stuff? Do you own a lot of stuff? Do you buy a lot of things? Where are these things that you desire that pop up there in the back of your thought processes? Along with all of those, ego, again, seems always to play a huge part in our thinking. And if our errant thoughts are allowed to stay in our mind for very long, they begin to foment and to begin to produce actions and behaviors that we should not, should not entertain. And that's when the real trouble starts. And that's the warning that's being given to us here in these words. Our old manner of thinking needs to die out within us. We must not coddle that old thinking. It must be utterly killed out from within us with no mercy being shown to it. Else it will continue to rear its ugly head and it will eventually come back and regain control over us. When we are born again, we actually become new creatures. The old is gone. The new has come, the Scriptures tell us. We have no reason, no reason whatsoever to continue to think and to act and to behave the way that we used to. And he gives us some suggestions of what we should not do here. But you and I also have a whole bunch of other things that we need to add to the list. And let me say to you, on the authority of these words, all of that is dead to you right now. All of that is dead. Why let it rear its ugly head and get control back over you? We are now to have the mind of Christ dwelling within us. In verse 5 of Philippians, we read the words, Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Does that mean that you and I are to try to think and what would Jesus do? Remember our bracelets? What would Jesus do? That's a nice thought, but that's not what this means. What this means is the literal indwelling 
of the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In our salvation, listen, in our salvation, God has given you and me the special privilege of actually being able to have the very mind of Christ dwelling within us. His intimate and manifest presence is within us. And no, I don't fully comprehend that, but I do know that it's true. Read John chapter 15. This abiding in Christ and Him abiding in you and me. When you and I receive Christ as our Savior, His Spirit and His mind actually comes to dwell within us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That is the truth. If you have Christ as your Savior, His Spirit, His mind actually is dwelling within you right now. And His Spirit, we're told, ministers to our spirit. It's all mystery, yes. But it's true. And it's real. How can we know that it's real? If we will simply be careful to listen, we'll actually hear the voice of God speaking to us. Now, not audibly so. At least I have never heard an audible voice from God. But listen, I do hear His voice speaking to me through my thoughts, through my prayers, especially while I'm praying. And then each morning as I'm reading through the Scriptures, and especially the Psalms, thoughts will come into my mind that are directly from the Lord. He speaks to me through the reading of His Word. Jesus said on several occasions, He who has ears to hear, let him listen. Let him hear. Do you hear the voice of the Lord? Do you give yourself the opportunity to hear the voice of the Lord? Because you are going to hear that voice when you're doing one of these things I've spoken to you about here. You're going to hear His voice when you're reading the Scripture. You're going to hear His voice while you're praying. Give Christ the opportunity to speak to you. But again, the reality of the warning given here in our text is that this part of our salvation, this working it out each day, really does at times get to be so very difficult. As I said a moment ago, I know that I have become so fully entrenched in so many of my ways of thinking and behaving because I have my ego. And it's hard for me to change. But I must. I must change. Listen, I've realized here recently, over and over again. For me, my time for standing before Christ in judgment is nearer than it's ever been. And I really don't want to bring any of this wretched stuff with me. I don't want to do that. I want to repent of it now. I want to have it all over and done with, if that be possible, before I stand before Him in judgment. And no, I don't do these things that are mentioned here in verse 3 very often anymore. Not at all, hopefully. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. But again, my list is different. My list is different. My particular sins are different and they're well hidden within me. And unfortunately, for many of those sins, they're so well hidden that even my conscious mind can't perceive them. And I don't know what I do wrong. But he says to me, be diligent to search out what those might be. 
I know it's not one of those exercises like the ones that our modern day psychiatrists put us through looking for these repressed memories and, and that sort of thing. It's very different. This is dealing, listen, this is dealing directly with the Lord about matters of sin. Why would that be so? Why would that be so? It's because sin is against God and against God alone. He is the one who's best able to recognize our sin. But how do we do that? How do we deal with those sins that we don't even remember that we've done? How do we search out those deep things of our mind? We do it the way that these Scriptures tell us to do. Psalm 139. Listen to this. This is a prayer that you and I need to pray every day. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If you'll pray that prayer every day, God will be faithful to start reminding you of things that you're doing. Things that you didn't even think were wrong before. But they are. But then, when He reveals those to us, you can't stop there. Just knowing about our sins is not enough. You and I have to move then on to the next step and do something about them. And that requires repentance. Here in Psalm 51 we find the best way to repent. Now this is King David. David had just had this immoral relationship with Bathsheba. He had had her husband killed. And he had committed all sorts of other sins in that whole process. His baby had died. And then he comes to this point of repentance. And he cries out to God in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Notice those words, against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. He had a man killed, but he did not sin against that man. Sin is breaking the laws of God. Against thee and thee only, David said here, have I sinned. Yes, it was all wrong what he did to Uriah and Bathsheba. But his sin is against God, and that's where you and I have to go to. Sharing it with someone else doesn't work. Getting of one mind with someone else, commiserating with them about what's going on in your life doesn't work. You've got to bring your sins to the one who can do something about them. And that's the Lord Himself. And I want to encourage each of us to never treat any sinful way or any mannerism or any condition as though it were small and insignificant. It is the job of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. And He'll be faithful to do that. And as you pray that prayer there in Psalm 139, you say, Lord, if there be any grievous way within me, reveal it to me. When He does, you need to repent. It's not too small. You need to repent. May I also give us an example of how to repent and how not to repent. It's found in the parable that Jesus gave about the Pharisee and the tax collector there in the temple. Luke 18, verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. By the way, do you know anybody like that? How they're always telling us just how lousy 
The president is. The president might be lousy. But God doesn't allow you and I to compare ourselves to someone else. We compare ourselves to His righteousness. And so these, this man here thought himself to be righteous enough to say, oh, I'm a good guy. I'm not like these others. So here it is. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, thank you that I'm not like those other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's how you repent. Now remember, God knows every thought and every attitude of your heart. By the way, He says that in the first part of Psalm 139. He knows every thought before it ever comes to your lips. He knows every thought and every attitude of your heart. And He knows if you are humble. He knows if you're sincere when you repent. And you and I need to be as this tax collector, crying out in humility, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Don't make any excuses. I didn't mean to do that. Don't don't add any words to it. Just say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This working out our salvation is difficult. And for that, you and I need to have our understanding as clear as we can get it. Else sin and the remnants of our old sin nature will come back in full force and full vengeance and then we'll be in worse trouble than we were ever in before we came to know Christ. Jesus gave a parable that talked about that. Listen to these words. This is Luke 11. It says, When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house that I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. And then it goes and it takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and they live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. Listen, unfortunately, this kind of disaster takes place all through the churches today. All through the hearts of real, sometimes earnest Christians. People who really want to know the Lord. A person gets on their knees or they walk an aisle and they say the sinner's prayer. But then they fail to go on any further in their faith. And this is what happens. This is what takes place. And they are indeed worse, in worse shape than they were before. But that need never take place. That need never take place. All we have to do is immediately begin to fill that void that empty space that's left when our soul gave up that old sin nature. In 2 Peter 1, God gives us the perfect remedy to make sure that once we're free, that we're free indeed. Listen to these words. This is 2 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3. His divine power... Now, you see the help that He's going to give us. It is God working within us to will and to do according to His good pleasure, according to the words that I just gave to you from Philippians chapter 2. His divine power that He has put within us has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. 
Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You'll escape that demon coming back into your life. You'll participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And so listen to these words. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Now you have the faith to get out on your knees and ask Christ to come into your heart. So you add to that faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you quickly. You have prayed to receive Christ. Each of y'all have professed in one way or another that you have Christ as your Savior. Have you been doing this? Have you been filling that empty void that that old sin nature left? Have you been adding all of these character qualities of Christ to your life? Have you been diligent to do that? Folks, this is the very next step and it must be done immediately after we receive Christ. We have to do it without any delay or else here they'll come back in. Those old habits will start to inch their way back into our lives. Those old behaviors. You and I need to add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. And we must do all of those things. Listen, he says you have to do those in increasing measure. The amount of brotherly kindness you had yesterday, the amount of godliness you had yesterday is not sufficient. You have to add to it today and every day and not let up for a moment. And by the way, did you notice in these words, in this progression of words, that there were no don't do this and don't do that. Don't get drunk. Don't go to parties. Don't get involved in sensuality. Why doesn't he put some don'ts in there? It's because once you put on this godliness of Christ, then your personality will begin to build and you won't even think about or want to do any of those corrupt things. You don't have to go through don't do this and don't do that. If you simply add to yourself these godly character qualities of Christ, you'll never want to think or to do any of those corrupt things again. Your righteous behavior will be satisfying, will be so satisfying to you that those corrupt behaviors will no longer appeal to you. You'll no longer want to do any of them. Folks, listen, this Christian life really is a far better life if we'll go ahead and live it the way God is asking us to here or He's He is commanding us to do here. It's more enjoyable than that old life that we had without any of those pitfalls. I want to confess to you, I really do enjoy and I love this Christian life that I have. I do. And I hope you do too. And if you don't, then listen to these words I'm going to close with. 
His divine power. If you have Christ as your Savior, His divine power is within you. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, listen, make every effort to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Let's pray.